why don't we give him a very warm HDBB welcome as he comes to the front. Thank you, Pastor Benny. Thank you, okay. Good morning, HDBB. Thank you so much for the joy and the privilege of coming and sharing God's Word with you this morning. Well, it's been a long time since I've came here, 2018, and then through the pandemic, I've not been able to travel, so I've been very homebound. But during this season, so many things have happened, and for those of you who are friends with me, a uh, little bit of update for, for you so that you know what's going on in my family. Well, during the pandemic, a few wonderful things happened, one of which is that I became a newly minted grandfather. Uh, and during the pandemic, my, my son uh, actually gave us two little girls, uh, two little grand granddaughters, and right now they're expecting their third one. So I'll be, I'll be uh, uh, many times over, you know, during the pandemic, there's less traveling, it's loss of time, and so very productive, <laughs> which is fantastic. Well, the, the other thing that happened was during the pandemic, I also became an empty nester. I got two other younger daughters and I married them off during the pandemic. And uh, the best thing is one of them got married over Zoom. And I highly recommend it. Because <laughs> I don't even need to change, you know, I just show up before the Zoom chat and I, I got my pastor to just marry them. 20 minutes, we're done. And very cheap. So that's <laughs> really good. <laughs> my, my youngest son was married also uh, during the, the tail end of the pandemic and we're, we're now empty nester. Now, the, the other thing you had noticed, in case you didn't notice, is that I used to wear glasses, right? And so many of you got used to me with glasses. All, all my life I've been wearing glasses, but I've reached the age where I need to do my cataracts and so now I can see you f near and far. Don't you dare fall asleep on me this morning. <laughs> Well, I understand that you're in a wonderful series on the basics and you're really beginning to re-examine life and all that. And I thought this morning, I want to share with you something which I've entitled Conversations. Conversations. It's actually about prayer. And let me introduce my subject this way. Uh, I want to read for you a series of letters that were written by Sunday school children to God as a prayer. And it's so interesting. Let me read some of these prayers that Sunday school children wrote to God. Jane prayed this. He said, Dear God, instead of letting people die and then having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you have? <laughs> it's pretty good. Larry prayed this. He said, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother. <laughs> Lucy prayed, Dear God, are you really invisible or is it just a trick? <laughs> Norma prayed, Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that or was it an accident? <laughs> Neil prayed this, Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right there in church. Is that okay? <laughs> Jane prayed, Dear God, what does it mean you are a jealous God? I thought you had everything. <laughs> uh, Dala prayed, Dear God, did you really mean do unto others as they do unto you? Because if you did, I'm going to fix my brother. <laughs> Joyce, I love this one. Joyce prayed, Dear God, thank you for my baby brother. But what I really prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> Elliot prayed this, Dear God, I think about you sometimes, even when I'm not praying. Oh, that's so sweet. You know, children, you agree, can be so authentic. You can be so real. Isn't that, isn't that right? And even in their prayers, you can see their authenticity. And I wanted to entitle this message on prayer as conversations because I actually think this is what prayer is all about. It is really about conversing with God. 
You don't have to complicate it. You don't have to make it, you know, so high-sounding. It's simply having a conversation with God. The mystics actually put it this way. He said, prayer is keeping company with God. And that's what we're doing. And as we keep company with God, we begin to converse with Him. And how many of you would agree that the more we know the person that we are conversing with, then the deeper, the more meaningful, the more enjoyable that conversation becomes. Is that true? Say, if I know Pastor... Um, oh, suddenly it slipped my mind. <laughs> Abel, of course, good friends. and yet, oh. <laughs> Say, if I know Pastor Abel very well, and when I converse with him, don't you agree the conversation will be deep? It'll be meaningful? It'll be intimate? But if I don't really know Pastor Abel well, then the conversation will be very superficial. And that's what it is, right? In our conversation with God, if we begin to know God, our conversation, our, our prayer will take on deeper dimension. So what I'm saying is this, prayer is growing deeper into God. And growing deeper into God results in prayer. And therefore, one of the secrets to a, to a deeper, faith-filled prayer life is to learn to pray within the context of who our God is. Are you with me? If we really want to learn to pray deeper prayers, we must learn to pray within the context of who our God is. Now, how do you do that? I think it is by integrating theology with prayer. If we learn to integrate our knowledge of God, the theology with prayer, then our prayer is going to take on deeper dimension. Now, please do not be intimidated by the word theology. You know, the moment you hear the word theology, everybody gets frightened. Oh, please don't give us theology. We just like things simple. But actually, theology is, is, very, is simply the study of God. Because that's what the word theology means. Theo means God. Logy is study. So what's theology? It's the study of God. So every time you come Sunday after Sunday and you sit under the feet of your pastor as they open up the scriptures to you, what are you doing? You are actually engaging in theology. You're studying who God is. Isn't that right? So in some sense, everybody in this room is a theologian. Okay, you don't look convinced. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you are a theologian. <laughs> you are. In some sense, we all engage in the study of God. And the more we know God, and then we allow our prayer to be integrated with our knowledge of God, our prayer is going to take on new dimensions. We go beyond the mechanics of prayer into the relational aspect of prayer. And this, I believe, is what it means to actually pray and converse with God. We pray in the context of who our God is. Is. And this morning, what I'd like to do is to show you an example from the Old Testament where we see this theology and prayer coming together. Now, I think example explains everything. So let me take you now to a familiar passage in the Old Testament that shows an, ex an example of how prayer can be integrated with who we know our God to be. Okay? Now, let me allow, allow me now to take you to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Can you go with me to a familiar uh, narrative in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 where we see a great battle that took place, okay? You go to 2 Chronicles 20. Let me read for you the first 12 verses and then I flesh this out for you. Listen to this story. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. 
some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazizon Tama, that is Ungerdi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. And then he said this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and you give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? You have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plagues or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and you will save us. But now here are men from Amnon, Moab and Mousia whose territory you will not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by now coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Let's bow. We have a word of prayer. Father, I pray this morning that you open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your scripture. I pray that you anoint your servants so that I may deliver your word with clarity, simplicity, but also with authority, so that your word will become a word in season for all of us who are seated here. Grant your servant a prophetic unction so that I speak words that will be a word for this moment for your people. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. The Bible tells us that there was a king called Jehoshaphat who was faced with a national crisis. Now, his response to this crisis have gone down in biblical history as a tremendous model for faith-building prayer. Second Chronicles 20 verse 1 and 2 describe what that crisis was. And it goes like this. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Meunites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and they told the king, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. In other words, the opposition was great. The NIV actually describes it as a vast army. The King James Version used the phrase, a great multitude. A great multitude of people are coming against us. In other words, it was a situation where the problem was too big and the resources were too little. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you feel like your problems are too big and your resources are too little? And in a time like this, you know, Jehoshaphat was alarmed. I mean, you would too if you were the king in a situation like that. So what did the king do? What he did was this, he gathered all his people together, young, old, toddlers, old folks, kids, adults, and they all gathered in a new courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord. Now, what you need to do is put yourself in the shoes of the king. How would you respond if you were the king? There's a multitude coming against you. The security of the land is actually threatened, and your people are now standing before you in fear. 
waiting for you as their leader to tell them what to do. Should we surrender and give the city up to the enemies? Should we come up with some military strategy to deal with this crisis? Or is the king going to give them a pep talk, uh, some words of encouragement, some words of wisdom, or, or some military direction? What is the king going to do? And the most surprising thing happened. Jehoshaphat gathered his people together from all corners of the nation. They were all standing before him in fear, wondering what he's going to tell them. And the most surprising thing was this. The only thing that came out of his mouth was a prayer. Did you, ever, did you notice that? The only thing he said was actually a prayer. They expected him to say something to them, but instead he spoke to God. They expected him to address them. Instead, he addressed the Lord. But why not? As you think about it, why not? When our opposition, we know when the problem is so big and our resources are so little, how many of you agree? Whenever we are in a crisis like that, one of the best things we can do is to talk to God. And that's what the king did. He talked to God. It reminds me of a story, you know, of a Bible college professor who wanted to climb this mountain. So what he did was he employed a native guide to actually lead him up to the mountain. And they happened to, then they went all the way to the peak and it happened to be a very windy day, you know, and right, right at the peak, he, all, he felt the force of the wind. It was so great, he almost felt like the wind was going to blow him away. And as he was struggling with the wind, he felt a tuck on his trousers. He looked down and there was the guide on his knees and the guide said to him, down, professor, on your knees, on your knees, professor. You're only safe when you're on your knees. And I thought, that's wonderful. It's true. Whenever we are in a, a crisis, one of the best things we can do is really to get on our knees in prayer. How many of you agree? Is that true? And, and the guide was absolutely right. The greatest place of security, my brothers and sisters, is in prayer. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat did. He got on his knees and he cried out to God in his time of crisis. But what was most powerful was not just the fact that he prayed, but it was the prayer that he prayed. Because in his prayer, he actually asked God three rhetorical questions that are highly instructive for the kind of prayer that you and I ought to pray in any crisis of life, whether it's a personal crisis or a national crisis or organizational crisis, these three rhetorical questions are actually has tremendous theological roots and underpinning, and they can instruct us on how to really pray in a time of crisis. And I want to outline for you what these three rhetorical questions are. Okay, the first was he asked God this question, are you not? Are you not the God who is still in control? Are you not the God who sits in heaven? And you find this in verse 5 and verse 6 of 2 Chronicles 20. Listen to this. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of, of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. And then he said, O God, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? The first question he asked God was this, are you not? He was asking God, are you not the sovereign God who still rules over the heavens? Are you not the God who holds all power in your hand? Are you still not the God who is in control? How many of you know that's a rhetorical question? Which means, uh, what's the answer? Of course. Of course he's still in control. 
Now, what does this mean? I think this really instructs us and it informs us that whenever we face an insurmountable problem in our lives, we must never forget that the answer is not in ourselves. The answer is in God. The answer is, is above. And we first need to address the spiritual dimension. In the midst of all of our ethical, moral, spiritual crises, we must learn to come back to our inner compass and we cry out to God, are you not the God who is still in heaven? Of course He is. You see, in any situation in life, this is what I found. In any situation in life, really there are three dimensions. In, in any crisis that we go through, there are three dimensions that we could focus on. The first dimension is what I would call the circumstantial. The circumstantial. This is the situation. This is the circumstance I'm going through. It could be very tough. It could be things could be re going really bad. That's the circumstantial. And then the second is really personal. This is how that situation affects me. But behind all of that, there is a deeper thing, which is the spiritual dimension, something that's going on in the spiritual realm through all of our crisis and situation. See, whenever we go through crisis and situation, what happens is this. Our tendency is always to deal with the circumstantial. Isn't that right? Our first question is, how do I get out of this problem? How do I resolve this issue? How do I extricate myself from this conundrum? This is our main concern. All we are concerned about is, how do I get myself out of this mess? Is that true? You're going through a situation in your workplace and you're beginning to be upset with this person, that person, my boss is no good, etc., etc. And all we care about is how do I extricate myself from this? So after a while, people quit and then they jump from one job to another. But they never really deal with what's going on inside. We never really allow God to change us. And so when we go through those crises and we just want to get out of it, we jump to another job, in the beginning, we are happy, but after a few months, the same problem erupts again. Why? Because the same person is still there. Are, are you with me? And we are often the root of the problem. But we don't deal with the circumstantial. Uh, we, we don't deal with what is going on inside, but we deal with the circumstances. How do I get out of this? If not, there are some who would immediately look at it personally. And we begin to tell ourselves, how can they do that to me? Don't you know I've sacrificed so much? Don't they know what I've done? Do they even know who I am? You know, I've gone through all this and then we get all upset. How can they do this to me? This is so unfair. And before you know it, you're upset with everybody because you're taking it personally. When actually, even though the problem starts bottom up, we need to solve it top down. We've got to begin with the spiritual. We've got to begin with God. Are you not the God who is still in control? And if you are, then if you allow this to happen, then what are you saying to me? What are you teaching me? Which area of your life is put, are you putting your finger on? What discipleship decision do I need to make that will actually allow me to be transformed? You see, at this level, we are asking ourselves two big questions. One is, what is the Satan's scheme? What is the devil up to? And I tell you, the devil only has one thing, John 10.10. 10. His goal is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But we also need to ask ourselves, what is God's agenda in all of this? Now, tell you what God's agenda is. God's agenda is always you. It is your growth. It is your transformation. It is your discipleship. And as we go through the crisis that we go through, we start here. 
And then we put, allow God to put His finger in different areas of our lives so that we can be transformed. After that, when we deal with the spiritual, when we deal with what is going on inside our own heart, then we can deal with the personal. How should I respond to this? Which area do I take responsibility for? How can I be changed? What discipleship decision do I have to make? Then you deal with the circumstantial. How do I then get myself out of this situation? Are you with me? And that's what the king did. He actually began to deal with the spiritual dimension first. And did you ever notice this? Whenever you, whenever you start to, whenever you change the question from how can this happen to me and why, how can things become so bad to God, what are you teaching me? Everything changed. See? And when we begin to learn how to deal with things from the spiritual to the personal before the circumstantial, you know what we are doing? We are beginning to build a theocentric compass for our life. Everything begins with God and not me. And once you begin to build that theocentric way of life, everything changes. We begin to live our life from the inside out. And what better way to begin to build a theocentric orientation in our life than in prayer? After all, is it not true that God is sovereign? Is it not true that He's still in control? Is He not the God of love? Is He not the all-wise God? And if God is sovereign and if God is good, then He will bring His will to pass. Brothers and sisters, there is such a need for all of us to learn to look up to God first in the midst of all of our trouble. Amen to that. And instead of running to men, shooting out emails, talking non-stop on social media, why don't we tune in to our God? And once you have a right view of God, it gives you a steady compass in which you can navigate through our crisis and problems. And this is exactly what King Jehoshaphat did in his crisis. First thing he did, he recalibrated his own heart back to God. And he cried out, Are you not the God who is in heaven? And what is the answer? Of course, he is. And then he asked the next question. The second question was this, Did you not? Look at verse 7 now. Then he go on to pray this. He said, Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? And then you give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. Are you not the God who is still in control? Of course he is. Did you not show up for us in the past? Of course he did. In any crisis, brothers and sisters, and sisters, there is a need for all of us to go back to God's track record. And that's what Jehoshaphat was doing. Because God's track record in our life, His unfailing faithfulness towards us will tutor our faith in Him. When we go through the valleys of life, it is important for us to be able to recall the acts of God in the past and then remind ourselves of what He has done. And when you recall what God has done for us, it tutors our faith and it causes our faith to arise. You know, I think it's very unfortunate when our faith begins to be built totally on propositional truth. You know, that everything is just based on, oh, this is what the Bible says, this is what the Bible says, without having transformational stories that come along with it. Are you with me? That, that our faith cannot just be something that we are convinced in our head but it must be something that is real to our heart. And what translates it from propositional truth to a, to a real, real truth is, is this, an encounter. 
It's an encounter with God. See, and it is the narratives of God, what God has done in our life that becomes a journal that you and I can keep returning to in times of crisis that will cause our faith to rise. And for that reason, I believe the Old Testament is so much of it is recorded for us in narratives, right? In the form of stories, the creation story, the Exodus story, and then the miracles of God, etc. And you find that in verse 7, Jehoshaphat not only went back to God's track record of all that God has done for us in the past, but he also went into God's promises for the future. Now, take a look again at verse 7. He says, O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? That's the past. And then he pivoted into the future. And then he says, you give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. See, when we pray, there is no better way to pray than to recall what God has done in the past and then remember what he has promised for us in the future. And the promises of God, my brothers and sisters, never fail. If God speaks, he will do. Are you not the God who is in control? Of course he is. Did you not show up for us in the past? Of course he did. And on that basis, he asked the third question. Will you not do it again? And you find this now in the next verse. In, in, if you take a look at verse 12 now, this is the third rhetorical question in verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So what is Jehoshaphat asking God for? He's saying this, you know, God, are you not still the God who is in control? Absolutely. Did you not show up for us in the past? Of course he did. Will you not do it again? Of course he will. This is who our God is. And because this is who our God is, our prayer is couched in the context of who our God is. That is theology and prayer coming together. Jehoshaphat is saying, will you not rescue us again? Will you not deliver us again? Will you not fulfill your promise to us? Of course he will. You have promised that you will give this land to your people. Now these enemies are seeking to drive us out of our inheritance. Will you not deal with them? Of course he will. Why? Because this is the God you and I serve. He is a God who will always keep his promises towards his people. He will always keep covenant with us. He always rescue us. He will always be our shield and our rampart. Hallelujah. And may you be encouraged today. And that's why I love Psalms 121. In verse 5, you know, there's this, it's a psalm that really talks about how God rescue us and deliver us and all that. And in verse 5, there's this interesting verse that goes like this. It says, God is your shade at your right hand. Have you ever thought what that means? God is your shade at your right hand. I think it's a powerful metaphor that gives us a graphic picture of who our God is. This word shade in the Hebrew can also be translated as shadow. The Lord is our shadow at our right hand. Now, whenever you think of the word shadow, what does it imply? If you see a shadow, what does it imply? It implies that you must be there. It's talking about the presence of God. If God is your shadow at your right hand, that means God must be there. God is with you, in other words. 
right? Whenever you see a shadow, of course, it means that the person must be there. Can you imagine if you see my shadow today, but I'm not here? That'll be freaky, right? <laughs> if you see my shadow, what does it mean? It means I'm here and God is with you, you see? But more than that, that word uh, shade can also be translated as shelter, can also be translated as shield. God is your shield, your shelter at your right hand. You know, we can easily understand the shadow part. But when it comes to the shield and the shade part, right, I think to the Jewish people, it makes a whole lot more sense than us. I'll tell you why. Because it is actually talking about ancient warfare. Because in the old days, when people fight, right, during the time of the Samis, how would they fight? They always fight with a sword and a shield. Isn't that right? So how many of you agree most soldiers will be right-handed? Right? So most of them will be carrying a shield in their left hand and with their right hand, they will swing their sword. Right? So when you think about it, where is the most vulnerable part of the soldier? Where is the most vulnerable, the most weak part, the weakest part of, of the soldier? It would be on his right hand. Right? Because that's where it's unshielded. But I got good news for you. At your most vulnerable moment, at your weakest part, the Lord is your shield at your right hand. Are you with me? And this is the God that we serve. And because this is the God that we serve, a God that's literally, you know, at, the, at my weakest moment, He's the one that covers me. You know, He protects me when I'm in danger. He rescues me when I'm in trouble. This is the God that we serve. And because of this, that's why we pray. Because we recognize that we are praying to a God who would save us, rescue us, and deliver us. And this King Jehoshaphat is asking, will you not deliver us again? And what's the answer? Of course, he will. Are you not? This is who our God is. Did you not? What our God has done for us in the past, will you not? What our God is going to do for us in the days ahead. Three rhetorical questions that has one common answer, which is, of course. Of course he's still in control. Of course he showed up for me in the past. And of course he will do it again. And I think this is what makes prayer meaningful. This is the kind of theology that our prayer must be based on. It is rooted in a theological anchor that we serve a God who is sovereign, who is good, who is wise, and is loving towards us. You and I serve a God who is for us, not against us. God who loves us, cares for us, and shields us. And that is why we put our faith in Him. And that's why we can trust Him. You know, I can imagine, you know, when Jehoshaphat was praying this great prayer, are you not, did you not, will you not, the people were all standing before him, listening in awe. You know, just like, you know, all of us are today. I can picture the people sitting in silent awe because you know what the king was doing? He was literally calling the people nationally back to God. You see, and this is what prayer is all about. Prayer is about a heart that is being summoned back to God. It is theology integrated with a heartfelt cry from the heart. One thing I've learned about prayer is this, you know, prayer is not an art, it is a cry from the heart. That's what it is. It's not an art. So we don't have to make it complicated. You don't need to have special language to talk to God. Oh, Heavenly Father, we worship Thee. You don't need that. You know, I think you can just simply talk to God. We don't need to pray the kind of superficial, superstitious, shallow prayer. 
but prayers that are rooted in who God is, what God has done, and what He will continue to do. Amen. And how many of you agree? That was a great prayer from a great king to a great God. And the next thing you know, God caused a mighty miracle to happen. Read the rest of the story and you discover that Jehoshaphat did not even need to fight the battle because God created such confusion. God fought the battle for him. He created confusion amongst these enemies and they started killing each other. And by the time Jehoshaphat turned up at the battlefield, he saw nothing but dead bodies everywhere. And all he needed to do was to collect up the loot. God was the one who granted him the victory. But here's the thing, and you cannot miss this, because you miss this, you miss the whole point of this narrative. Between the time when Jehoshaphat prayed that awesome prayer, are you not, did you not, will you not, until the time he saw this victory that happened, something happened in between that I think is the whole point of this story. Do you know what happened in between was this? This is the fundamental teaching point of this narrative. You miss this, you miss the whole point. See, between the time he prayed that prayer until he time, the time he saw the victory, in between what happened was the spirit of prophecy, the Holy Spirit, actually came upon Zahaziel, who is the son of Asaph, the Sammis of Israel. The, the, the spirit of God came upon him and he began to prophesy. And this is what the prophetic word says in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 14 and 15. Listen to this. The, the Spirit of the Lord fell upon Zahaziel and he, be, he stood up and he declared this, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. That was the whole point. The whole point was this, the battle belongs to the Lord. See, because if you don't believe this, right, this is the secret, I think, to powerful prayers. And this is what the Holy Spirit is seeking to teach us this morning. Why do you and I pray? Isn't it because we truly believe that the battle is not ours, but the battle belongs to the Lord? See, because if you don't believe that the battle belongs to the Lord, then it becomes your battle. If it's your battle, then you go fight it. Why bother to pray? The only reason why we pray is because we believe the battle does not belong to us. The battle belongs to the Lord. That's why we pray. And if you understand that the battle belongs to the Lord, then the victory will belong to us. See, and that is the whole point. See, and that's why I want to challenge you this morning. Don't end up carrying the burdens yourself. I find that our shoulders are not wide enough to actually carry all the burdens of ministry or church or family or nation or the world. The truth is this, we cannot do it. We need to come humbly before the Lord in simple faith and then we declare like Jehoshaphat did in verse 12, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. Here is the key to dynamic prayer, my brothers and sisters of HTBB. Our eyes are upon you. Not our circumstance, not the multitude, not the people, not even the leader, not our resources. Our eyes are upon God. I love this story that was told about a mom, you know, one day, she was walking past the bedroom of her five-year-old daughter. And because the door was a little bit ajar, she walked past and she looked in 
And to her pleasure, you know, she found her daughter kneeling at the bedside praying. How many of you agree if your mom, you'll be so proud, right? So happy. So she quietly tiptoed into the room, you know, because the, the daughter was praying, trying to eavesdrop, uh, trying to, uh, to hear what the daughter is praying. And when he got near, to her surprise, uh, she found her daughter you know, kneeling very intensely, hands hold, eyes closed. And then she found her daughter reciting the alphabets back to God. You know, she was going A, B, C, D, all the way to Z, and then Amen. Oh, the mom was so sad, you know, the heart dropped. And then after the whole thing was over, she asked the daughter, darling, what are you doing? And she said, I was praying. I said, if you are praying, then how come you are reciting the alphabet to God? And she said this. She said, mom, I have so many things to tell God, but I don't know how to put it together. I can't string the sentences together. So I reckon that if I recite the entire alphabet to God, God will know how to put it together. <laughs> now, how many of you agree that God actually hear her prayer? I'll tell you why, because she knows who her God is, what her God has done, and what his God, her God can do. See, the God who was, who is, and to come. And, and this is the, the, the truth. This, this is the whole point of prayer. See, and, and I think that God actually hears her prayer. Okay, because she knows who her God is. Are you not the God who is still in control? Of course. Did you not show up for us in the past? Of course he did. Will he not do it again? Of course he will. And if we talk to God like that, I believe the Lord will draw near to us and tell you, I tell you the truth. You know, when we admit that we are helpless and powerless, God steps in and says, I tell you the truth, the battle belongs to me. Now you stand and see the salvation of your God. Many of us, I think, carry burdens that are too big for our shoulders. Some of us could be carrying family issues, some are health problems, relational problems, financial problems, work problems, ministry problems. They are way too much for us to handle. It is time to come before God, surrender to the God who was, who is, and who is to come. The God who is, who did, and will continue to do. Are you not the God who is still in control? Yes, He is. Has God not shown up for you in the past? Of course He did. Will He not do it again? Of course He will. And then God will draw near to you and He will tell you, the battle belongs to me. So stand and see what I can do. Amen. Would you stand with me please this morning? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I invite you to take a moment right now just to allow these truths to sink in. And this morning, if the Lord has been speaking to you and you, you really feel like, yeah, I'm facing a crisis, I have situations that I feel that my, I'm so bogged down and so overwhelmed by it, I want to invite you this morning to come to this God who, has, who is still sitting on the throne, He's in control. And you, you, tell, you ask him, are you not the God who is still in control? Did you not show up for me in the past? And will you not do it again? And I believe the Lord will be here to minister to you. The Lord will be here to touch you. And if you need a prayer this morning, if you need someone to just come alongside you and pray with you, I want to invite you this morning just to be able to step out, just come to the front and uh, 
our prayer leaders will be here and to be able to minister and to pray for you. If you need to do that, um, as the worship team uh, leads us, I'm going to invite you just to, if you're facing a situation that needs prayer, you just step out from where you are and you can just come and we'll be most happy to pray with you. Okay, so one of the worship team uh, just lead us in the song and then I'll open this place up uh, for you. To just come and respond if the Lord is speaking to you. Amen. <laughs>